Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Zechariah chapter 14 is one of my favorite passages. It speaks of this coming of the Lord. Zechariah, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, and it spoke of the very day when Jesus comes on the Mount of Olives. Remember when I said that he, he ascended from the Mount of Olives? He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. Let's read it. Zechariah chapter 14, let me read it to you. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio from Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob concludes the introduction of Revelation chapter 6 that begins the wrath of God on the earth. God has made provisions for all of us to know just what to expect during this time on the earth. This is a preparation of Jesus Christ's second coming to the earth to set up his millennial reign Although there are many prophecies in the Bible regarding Jesus' second coming, no one articulates it better than in the book of the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, verse 4. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. These things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he be taken out of the way. That's the Spirit of God within the Church of Christ, which you and I are a part of. Amen? Amen? Smile. I know this is hard. (laughs) Then... The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We'll see that when we get to the end of Revelation in chapter 19, specifically verse 11. You're going to see Jesus coming back and he's going to destroy the demonic trinity, the Satan, the false prophet, and also the beast, the Antichrist. He will destroy them with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, all power, signs, and lying wonders with, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because, notice, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so that's the midpoint of this period of time that we're going to be embarking on. What about the second half? What happens in the second half of this, the last three and a half years of this seven-year period? Jesus tells us, again, back in Matthew 24, if we pick up right where we left off in verse 21, The second half is going to be the worst. In Matthew 24, verse 21, 
Jesus tells what this second half of the Great Tribulation is going to be like. And this corresponds to roughly Revelation 16 through chapter 18. What did Jesus say? He says, for then there shall be great tribulation. Yeah, I, I, would, I believe so. <laughs> it's going to be really tough. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, we've read this before, no flesh would be saved. It's going to be wicked. God's judgment on an ungodly world is going to be horrific, folks. And unless he, sa- unless he shortened that time, nobody would survive it. Nobody would survive it. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I have told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it, Jesus says. Because the next time you see Jesus, you're going to see him in the clouds. Does that make sense? You're not going to see him in Manhattan. You're not going to see him in Brooklyn at the Watchtower Society. They actually believe that at one time. That Jesus is at the Watchtower Organization, the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's with us. He's in the back room. No, you can't see him. He's too holy. And Isaiah chapter 13 tells us of this time too. Isaiah 13, beginning in verse 6, let me read it to you. This is a general prophecy of the Great Tribulation, and it could be placed in the first or second half, but it really describes the spirit of what's happening. And Isaiah 6, verse, uh, 13, verse 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. That's what this time is. The day of the Lord, it's a day of His wrath, is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, and every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid pangs, birth pangs, and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Do you see what's happening? Where is this wrath coming from, and who is it directed toward? It's coming from God, and it's going to the inhabitants of the earth. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth. And the moon will not, will not cause its light to shine. And I will punish the world. This is what Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus was even born. I will punish the earth for its e- I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Amazing. Now, this is all really bad news. In fact, we've got lots of bad news coming up. Aren't you glad that you come to this church? You know what? But mingled in, in, see, this is a part of the scripture that we have to go through. It is. There's no doubt. It's the most difficult part. Because we're talking about a period of time that you and I aren't going to be a part of. But guess what? Your family and friends, perhaps, may go through that. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Finally, Jesus, back in Matthew, he gives us, so he gave us the first half of the tribulation, he gave us the midpoint, he gave us the second half of the tribulation, and now in Matthew 24, verses 27 through 31, he gives the time when he comes back physically to the earth, also known as the second coming of Christ. Different from the rapture. The rapture, we meet him in the air, but in the second coming, he comes with us to the earth after the tribulation to this earth physically, terra firma. 
He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. Notice what he says in Matthew 24, verse 27. Speaking of his second coming now. So you see the chronology of it in Matthew 24 here? It's laid out very clearly. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. During the time of Armageddon, this time at the end when the Antichrist and his armies, when they descend upon Jerusalem, which the Bible has a lot to say about, it's going to be a bloodbath. When Jesus comes back, and it's recorded for us in Revelation 19.11, when he comes back, people, millions, will be destroyed in an instant. And there's going to be a great supper for every bird of the air. Every vulture in the Middle East is going to come to the great buffet of God. That's what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, so now he's speaking after this great tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will, be, will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And guess what? He's coming to the earth at that time. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other, those faithful at the end during the tribulation period. Jude also tells us of this period of time as well, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's recorded for us in Jude chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. You might want to just write it down. What does he say? Now Enoch Enoch prophesied this, the seventh from Adam, before the flood, Before the flood, this was prophesied. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, speaking of the wicked men and um, um, unbelievers, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among all of them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So even before the flood of Noah in Genesis 7, Enoch prophesied of the coming, the second coming of Jesus at the end of the great tribulation period. Zechariah chapter 14 is one of my favorite passages. It speaks of this coming of the Lord. Zechariah, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, and it spoke of the very day when Jesus comes on the Mount of Olives. Remember when I said that he, he ascended from the Mount of Olives? He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. Let's read it. Zechariah chapter 14, let me read it to you. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. These are the uh, armies of Antichrist and all those. The city shall be taking, speaking of Jerusalem, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, notice this. This is wonderful. This verse 4 of Zechariah. Zechariah 14 is one of my favorite ones. Old Testament. (laughs) It says, 
And in that day, his feet, speaking of Christ, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall remove toward the south, half shall move toward the north, and then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. That's you and I. Let's pause and let's smile. I'm looking forward to that. He does all the work. We come back with him. And it says right there in an Old Testament passage of something yet future to us. What an amazing passage. Read uh, Zechariah 12 through 14, especially 14, chapter 14. What an amazing pick. I mean, when we were in Jerusalem just a few months ago, uh, in March, we were standing on the Mount of Olives over there, looking out uh, over the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount. And I was just looking around, and I was thinking, oh my. You almost get weak in the knees, thinking about what has happened in that area and what is yet to come. And to look at that Mount of Olives and to look all around and say, Lord, one day you're going to set foot. I don't know the exact spot, but somewhere in this area, somewhere on this mountain, you're going to step foot on, just like you said in Zechariah. And this whole thing's going to split. And in other passages in Ezekiel and Jeremiah talks about when that mountain splits, there's going to be a fountain coming up from the, the threshold of the temple. And it's going to go down into the valley, down into the Jordan Valley to the east, going down the Jordan River, down to the Dead Sea. And the other part of it's going to stream out from the temple and go toward the Mediterranean Sea. And Ezekiel tells us in 47, chapter 47, that fishermen will be mending their nets in the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, because of that, that disaster that's going to occur geographically. When that mountain splits in two, it's going to open a fissure underneath the Temple Mount, which they've already determined and know that it's there right now. And when that thing busts loose as a result of him, water's going to gush forth. And it's going to go down into the valley on each side. Because it's on a hill, right? If you're looking at a cross-section view of Jerusalem is up here. Down to the east, down to the Jordan, it's going to flow all the way down to the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth. And that water is going to come out from the other side of the Temple Mount. And it's going to go toward into the valley all the way to the western side of Israel out into the Mediterranean Sea. And the Bible says that the, um, the, the Mediterranean Sea is going to even become more fresh than it ever has been. And certainly the Dead Sea, nothing can live in it now, but it's going to have fish. Fishermen are going to fish there in the millennial rain. You will see it. Maybe we'll be, David. Maybe we'll be one of those fishermen. Maybe they'll let us go down there. If we don't got any business to do for the Lord, maybe they'll let us go down there with our Zebcos. I got one. Would love that. So, as we've looked at this overview in a very short period of time, I apologize, there's a lot of information here. I just wanted to take this morning to kind of give us an overview of what this period that we're just embarking on, what it is biblically, what the Bible has to say about it. And as we go forward, we're going to see some amazing things. Does that make sense? So Revelation chapter 6 really begins this first half of the three and a half year period of a seven year period, period which is called the Great Tribulation. And we're going to see those things unfold as we go along. But how do we respond to all of this information? You know, it's one thing to have just a head knowledge of it, but we'll end with this. How should we respond to that information? 
if it just gets into our head and it's, it's, it's fun to think about, because I love this stuff, honestly. I've read a lot, and I'm looking forward to doing a whole lot more reading and sharpening my understanding of this. What does this do to you? When you read about the wrath to come, you and I won't see that wrath. But what about others? What about family, friends, co-workers? How is this going to challenge us? I love what Paul said to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, he says, For the love of God compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, and he died for all, that those who should who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. But I love what he says, it's the love of God that constrains or compels us. See, it's, as I read this information, read these things that we looked at today, which are very difficult to hear. May it provoke in you, as it is in me, a, a greater desire, a, a light, if you will, under a little match underneath me to get me motivated, to stir me up again, to reach those around me that don't know Christ. Because here's the thing, folks. Judgment is coming. Nobody wants to talk about that. I'd much rather talk about the love of God, the, 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 the things that make us all feel comfortable. But we are in a place now where we've got to face this. And guess what? It's coming. It's, it's happening. It's slowly getting that. It's going in that direction. Can you see what's going on in our country right now? Can you see what's going on in the world? We are slowly being set up for this whole thing, and it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to act like nothing's happening? I think we're beyond that point now where it might be coincidence. The signs are all around us, folks. The signposts are very well lit, and they're screaming at us. The Lord is not screaming at you. He's not going to force you to do anything. But I pray with what he has shown us and what he's showing us and what he has shown us, it will motivate us to evangelism, to tell people about Christ. And don't forget to tell them that judgment is coming. I got saved because I was, I, somebody told me that I was on my way to hell. I needed to hear that. If I don't realize that I'm sick, I don't, need a, I don't need a physician. He's not a savior to those who think that they've done well. He's a savior to those who know that they've sinned and have offended God. He's a savior to those who know that they've sinned and the punishment that they deserve. Aren't you glad for the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God? And for me and you, for you and I, that is the greatest release I can think of. To know his great love in, 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 in all of this. Because he's a God of love, he has to be a God of vengeance as well. Love and wrath. There's no way around it, do you understand? Because God loves so much, he has to punish evil. That's why. And it's his will that none should perish. He doesn't want any one of us in this room to perish. He wants us to live and he wants all those around you to live. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with these things that we're, we just read and that we're going to be reading about? Please, watch this again. Write the scriptures down. Review them again. Look at them. 
That was one of the things I remember when I was little, and I'll just end here. I remember when I first got saved and I was reading this book on prophecy by John Walvoord, which is a very great man. I love him. He's long gone now. But it was a book on prophecy, and it was talking about all these things that are coming. And I got saved, and I was so excited. I actually wrote my mom a letter. I hope she still has it somewhere. It was a very, like a three or four or five page letter. I was on fire. <laughs> I was so excited. I still am, by the way. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I was so, it was like the, the honeymoon period. I could barely write it down. I was so excited and yet heartbroken. And I told her in that letter, Mom, if something happens to me, if something happens to me, and all of a sudden, not only myself, but many other people are missing for no understandable reason. This is what happened, and this is where it is in the Bible. Go read it for yourself and drop on your knees and give your heart to Christ immediately. I wrote her that letter with tears, knowing what's coming. And that's the way I pray that you respond to this too, as let it stir you up again, tell people the truth, and don't leave out the fact that We need to be saved because we're sinners. Don't leave that out. And don't leave out the fact that judgment is coming. And you can be saved from that judgment. That is what got me saved. I'm not ashamed of it. I'd much rather tell somebody, do you know that Jesus loves you so much? He died for your sins. Very rarely will somebody come up and say, oh, that's so great news. What do I need to do? I wish it were that easy. Some people can. But me, I was such a knucklehead, the Lord had to dangle me over the fire of hell. Either way, he got the job done. I'm his. Does that make sense? Let the love of God, though, like Paul says, let the love of God constrain you. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But what? He's long-suffering toward us. He's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And what does it say in Ezekiel 33? We'll end this. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That is what, that's God's heart. Aren't you glad? What a blessing to be the redeemed. Do you look forward to that day? I look forward to it. Folks, in spite of all the darkness around us, know that you are loved. Know that God loves you. Know that he gave everything for you. His love for you was so great. He stretched out his arms. He loves you so intensely. He loves you so intently. Regardless of anything you've done, you can't upset him. He knows your life. Come to him in honesty and reverence and confess every sin and receive him Be refreshed in him. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we... uh, This is very uh, intense uh, this morning, Father. And Lord, I pray that you would do the work in us. Do the work in me again. And do it in my brothers and sisters, Lord. Help us as we see these things approaching. Lord, to, to really dig into the word of God to know what your word says, and, and Lord, to share the very simple gospel message. Lord, we don't have to know all of these details. We can summarize them. We don't have to give chapter and verse. If we can, praise the Lord. But Lord, 
Any one of us in this room you can equip to share this information with right now at this moment. And so, Father, help us to be those ambassadors for you while the time is relatively easy. And, Lord, help us during this time to keep our focus on you and not on the things that are going on. We love you and we thank you. And to you be the glory and honor forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.